0: Hello and welcome to the Medical Humanities Podcast, the official podcast of BMJ's Medical Humanities Journal. We invite you to listen in and join the conversation, from academic discussions happening in our journal, to interviews with filmmakers and artists, and global perspectives on health and medicine from around the world. Stay up to date with public discussions that matter to medicine and to the humanities, because life happens at the intersections. Hello and welcome
1: to this new edition of Medical Humanities podcast series. This is Kali Dali, film and media correspondent and Medical Humanities Journal. I'm very honored and pleased to have with me today Damon Gamu from Australia, Australian uh, actor, director, filmmaker, who's uh, here in London to launch his new film, 2040, a documentary about uh, planet health. So Damon, without further ado, can you tell us a bit about yourself and the reason why you're here in London?
2: Sure, thank you for having me. Um, so yeah, the film is uh, it's a letter to my daughter, um, showing her what the world could look like in 2040 if we put into practice the best solutions that exist around the world in a range of different areas, from um, transport to agriculture to oceans um, and to energy. And the film really, I guess, is a response to feeling very overwhelmed as a parent, as I think many parents are, about the current state of the planet ecologically and also where we're headed and and what the future might look like for our children. So I spent about eight months researching to see if there were solutions that were out there that I could then talk to my daughter about and reassure her that there were people that care and there are things that we can do. And uh, very early on in the research, I spoke to an environmental psychologist, a woman named Renee Lertzman, out of the US, and she was talking about the psychology of when we only hear information that comes with fear and overwhelm and dread, which is what the mainstream narrative is, that it can activate a part of our brain called the limbic system. And when that's activated, it shuts down the prefrontal cortex. And as we know, that's where we think creatively and problem solve. So there's a sort of wide scale paralysis going on for a lot of people because they just don't know what to do with the never ending stories of how bad things are. So I guess I just wanted to have an intervention to that narrative a little bit and try and wake up uh, people or media organisations, whoever it might be, that we need to also share a solutions narrative, it needs to run alongside that. Um, Because if you are going to set off the fire alarm, you've also got to show people where the exits are. And I feel like that part of the story has been really lacking and, and people are feeling overwhelmed by that, especially our children. I think there's room for a different story, a story that focuses on the solutions to some of these problems. So in 2040, what will the world look like for our daughter if we just embrace the best that already exists?
0: Instead of having governments that are reacting to disaster, we need governments and businesses that actually take us off in a different direction.
2: I spent four years making the film and um, traveling the world and trying to look for the best solutions and uh, interviewed about 120 children from around the world and different countries from Tanzania to Bangladesh to Uh, Sweden to Brooklyn in New York and I asked them what they want to see in the world in 2040 so they very much guide the narrative and shape the film as it as it unfolds Uh, and we released the film in Australia in uh, in May of this year and I've had just an extraordinary response to the film and um, it's already one of the highest grossing documentaries of all time in our country. I yes yes it's been very well received. Yeah and I think um, more importantly we were able to set up a a campaign off the back of the film, which was like an impact campaign where if people resonated with something in the film, we we provided the opportunity for them to get involved and support that solution, whether through volunteering or impact investing or just donating. So we've been able to bring to life a lot of the solutions we show in the film. And to me, that's the most exciting element is that we've almost got the data now to show that people will respond when they're given tangible things they can uh, channel all that energy into.
1: So tell me a bit more about the listeners who haven't seen the film. I've seen the film with my daughter and she really connected with it and, and it's entertaining, it's educational, mm-hmm. so it's, the narrative is very accessible to uh, children and adults alike. But uh, you, you started off by saying that you did not. we're all overwhelmed by the global warming crisis, the uh, sustainability of uh, energy. Uh, resources and so forth but you focused on the positive what is available now that will so that hence the title 2040.
2: That's right and I called it an exercise in fact-based dreaming so I think that it would have been a terrible film and a terrible exercise in parenting if I'd just shown my daughter what this wonderful future could look like um, that wasn't based on any facts or grounded in any reality. So that the premise I set up was that anything I show her in 2040 has to exist now in some form. It's just an extrapolation. And I guess the point for people to take away is that we have everything we need to turn this around right now. We're not waiting for some miracle invention so to ridiculous. come up. We've already got it. We know how to do it, whether that's switching our agricultural practices, whether it's regenerating the oceans, decentralising our energy, whatever it might be. What we're lacking is the political will, is the action, the behavior change. It's all these other things. And I think in a time where people are starting to sort of listen to a more nihilistic narrative and feeling like, nuts no, all too hard and we and shut reality, down. Yeah. I think the point of the film is to say that, no, we can do it. Whether we do is now up to us. But I think people need to be reassured, and especially our children, to know that we can get
1: through this. But the way you went about this is that you interviewed in the film uh, international eminent figures. in there. So t- tell us about some of the people you interviewed in the film because these are the <laughs> eminent sources of information. These are the mm. uh, gurus in their fields respectively around the world. Yeah
2: that was really tough actually because I think um, as you know that our, just like our, our environment is polluted we also have a very polluted information environment and yeah. it's very hard to know who to listen to and who to trust. So I had a researcher herself and I. I spent eight months trying to work out who were the trusted voices, who were the people that you know people could rely on, there was no, nothing sensationalist about it, it was all very practical and doable. And so those people just started to emerge during the process and um, about six months into starting the film I, I met uh, Paul Hawken who was instrumental in the Project Drawdown initiative which um, for those that don't know they spent about eight years with 200 different researchers and academics mapping and measuring and modeling the 100 best solutions to reversing global warming and did uh, the sums on it both in sort of carbon but also uh, the cost of those and what impact it would have so uh, that was an incredibly important resource for us Um, the the more we went on and they've been really helpful in sort of sharing data and information and uh, that opened the doors to a few other people that I met along the way that I just felt were really full of integrity in it for the right reasons and, and and were very cautious about um, oversimplifying anything or saying it was all going to be too easy uh, there was quite a rigorous process to get that
1: right and you tackled major challenges made universal challenges in technology in civil society agriculture uh, energy uh, resources and uh, t- tell us about the, the experience in, in bangladesh
2: yeah that's it's quite an extraordinary story uh, for people especially in my country because we've got such an embedded energy system in a way of of distributing energy in Australia, you know, with poles and wires and infrastructure. And as you probably know, we're still heavily reliant on coal in in Australia. We send it uh, to China, a lot of it. And that's why our our political system's a little bit stuck there because it is such um, a crucial to our growth. And so Bangladesh, because uh, I guess they are particularly vulnerable, they are getting sort of four or five natural disasters a year. Mm -hmm. Even people that are connected to the main grid uh, often lose their power between eight and 10 every night. Um, so what some of these villages have now done is found a way to anyone that has a solar panel and a battery is given a special box and this box allows them to connect to another house with the same box. And what it does is effectively create a microgrid out of that village. So all the energy gets pulled into one place and then the people can give to or take from that centralized energy supply in their village. So. It means that uh, they become more resilient, especially in the natural disasters or if the main grid shuts down, they have their own energy supply. They can then link their microgrid to the next village and the next village after that. And again, the network becomes stronger and stronger as they expand out much like a cell does, but also the money gets to stay within the community. If we just solve climate change or deal with it and we've got huge levels of income inequality, What's the point? It's not. It's not going to benefit anyone. I think these kind of solutions, which we deliberately tried to find, have a raft of cascading benefits to them. And one of this one in Bangladesh is that empowerment of individuals in their community. They get to make money from buying and selling energy um, from within their community. So it, um, it just just to see how wonderfully that was received there. And, and since that company has spread into Bangladesh, into Africa, I think even in India as well. And there's even um, parts of Australia now. Our are, are one of our bodies is experimenting. In new housing estates, doing System. a very simple, uh, similar decentralized model.
1: And so, in, in a way, this is a prescription for the for a healthy, uh, not only re- national society. This is a universal community. You give, you you through the films, raising issues and questions, and and providing solutions, as it were, yeah. to, to to some of the challenges and in uh, that are facing the... We're going to,
2: we, I think we all know that what is required is quite a large systemic shift. We're not going to get to do this by just tinkering around the edges. We know that there's it's a big, complex system and we need to address all these areas simultaneously, which is why it's such a wicked problem and it's so tricky. It's... You know, even if we you know, went to zero emissions tomorrow and stopped polluting, still we've still locked ourselves into increased warming because of the carbon and other greenhouse gases that are already in the a- atmosphere. So we need to find ways to get them out of the atmosphere at the same time as we're stopping putting up there. So you can't make a film just about one solution, I think. You have to try and sell a vision that's more holistic and tries to bring people into seeing this in a completely well-rounded perspective, not just through energy lens or whatnot, because as you know, agriculture is just important, or oceans are just important because they're absorbing so much of the heat, so um, I think we get into trouble where we try and get too reductionist or simplify on this, we've got to see it as a systemic problem.
1: I'm very intrigued Uh, by the way you presented it using animated sequences, using uh, music, uh, and the the interviews with children from all around the world, and that made the message very accessible. So mm. is that because of your background as an anime, animation no, act, no, designer I, or
2: artist? No, I have none of that background. I just, mm. I think I, as you know, that sometimes I think we, we get a bit bogged down communicating science sometimes. It's, yeah. it's no one's fault, but I think we, we try and just convince people with logic and facts, and, and that's kind of not how we work. I think we're a species that's evolved to tell stories but we also need to tell entertaining and engaging stories and i think especially in the climate space that people just don't even know what 2 degrees warming means really they don't know what anthropogenic means or what negative emissions are so i think well carbon, well, carbon footprint they're all very scientific terms so Indeed. i think it's really important for storytellers filmmakers artists actors whoever whoever it is to help disseminate some of that information make it more uh, understandable for children yeah. and especially talk about it at a human level and, and take a, resist the temptation to only put up graphs but talk about the impacts on your children or your community or the things that we all value that aren't political. I think that's uh, what I try to do in this film and also in the Sugar film is just try and make what is complex information a lot more accessible to the whole family. But here I am seeing an aeroplane that is spewing out carbon. You can't help but be a hypocrite, because our entire system is built on fossil fuels.
0: What were you guys thinking?
2: Well, sometimes we weren't.
1: You've managed that successfully, I've seen the film, and really it was easy to to follow, understand Mm. and enjoy at the same time. Mm. And that, again, I'd like to, to explore with you, that followed on from your first documentary, which again broke Uh, records Mm. in in Australia and won major awards around the world in film festivals um, that Sugar Film so Mm. tell us about that was more of a a personal journey (laughs) from a different perspective so tell us about that Sugar Film
2: yeah uh, that was a I guess as you know that sometimes you can get caught up in the the constant arguments that go back and forth around certain science and you know food is probably the most hotly debated out of any science and I just felt really confused by all that so I thought you know what I'm I'm going to do an experiment on my own body I know it's a very limited case study but I just want to see what sugar has how it impacts my own body but the catch was that so I ate the equivalent of what most Australian teenagers are eating every day which is sadly about 40 teaspoons of sugar a day and but I did it uh, without eating any junk food so really it was trying to expose some of the misleading labeling on a lot of the foods that are out there like the low-fat yogurts and the sort of uh, muesli bars and these kind of cereals that are often have a picture of a flower or a bee or some grapes on the, the front. Soul
1: that's healthy options. Their
2: soul is healthy. Everyone thinks, oh, that must be good for me.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, so I ate only those foods. For how long did you do uh, this experiment, it was Damon? for 60 days. 60 days, yeah. Uh, and I sort of developed, you know, I got pre-tied to diabetes. I had fatty liver disease. I put on 11 kilos. All these things from eating no junk food. How you did
1: know. they get insurance? Or?
2: Well, the thing was that um, I think we we're all so naive and didn't know what was going to happen that mm. I never would have done that if I'd known what was going to happen. Mm. But I was really, I think the naive, my naivety helped the film because I was very new to that. So I think what it did is just opened people's eyes a little bit to being more conscious about what they're eating, uh, not sort of buying into the marketing messages of some of these large companies. And really the message of the film was not so much about demonising sugar, it was just trying to get people to eat real food. You know, to try and understand that any processed food you're going to have has all sorts of things in there that probably aren't that great for you. So the more you can stick to the fresh fruits, the real you know food, vegetables, whatever it might be. Um, and so that was the takeaway. And again, just made it in a very fun, accessible way. Indeed. Um, I think it's very hard to try and explain Fructose metabolism um, to someone.
1: I still struggle so, with my yeah, <laughs> the cycles. Yeah, that's
2: right. So I think if you can, like like you see in the film, I go inside the body and I travel through the blood, and I'm, yeah. you're seeing what insulin does, and you're seeing the different fat cells and how they respond. Uh, I think it just made it a lot more um, digestible for people. Pardon the pun. Yeah.
1: And yes, very interesting. I think it works for for um, people of all ages, from students, yeah. uh, from young children to medical students, would find that. Uh, very interesting and easy to explain the the way you you presented it. So So from a personal journey to a global journey, so that's I'm interested both films again connected with the audience. Tell us about the reception of uh, 2040 and your plans for its widespread uh, release and particularly global health film festival and schools Mm. tell us about that
2: yeah so we we sort of did a cinema run in australia that lasted for a couple of months and obviously did very very well but what's been really exciting is that we then gave the film to we opened it up for people to host their own screenings or organizations so we've just been inundated with local councils uh, libraries uh, schools as you said we had a a curriculum program for teachers so we've had almost ten thousand teachers have downloaded our resource materials to teach the students a lot of the concepts in the film um, we had screenings in corporations, a lot of energy companies, the banks, lots of financial Fantastic. institutions, um, because I think they're ready to have that conversation and see what they can do. So that was always our intention. And now we're in London as well. so we're in the process now of adapting the Australian curriculum and matching it to the UK curriculum so that again teachers can have it. So, uh, we were fortunate enough to release it at the Interfilm Festival, they simulcast the film to about 10,000 kids around the UK at the same time. At the time. same time, Fantastic. Yeah, and then we had a QA and a afterwards which was just wonderful and as you said the kids really respond to it I think because they're they're excited to see what their future might look like and, and, and excited to see what their careers of the future might look like and how they can be involved to regenerate many of our living systems. I think that's an exciting um, career path with purpose and meaning that a lot of them get really excited about.
1: And what started as a personal uh, letter to your daughter, a personal mm. uh, story to your daughter, uh, ripple had a fantastic ripple effect mm. that that now uh, loads of people around the world are, are yeah. and watching and learning and and being mindful of the environment and energy and what we can That's right. positively that, do to change matters.
2: Yeah, and it's... Um, I think that we're really in a a tricky situation at the moment because we are in a bit of a narrative battle and there are forces out there that are working against us in a lot of ways and they often tell the stories and they often control the narrative in the media as we well know and and, and that could be quite deleterious to our own health and the planet's health. So I think it's really important that we try and get more of these stories out there to give people the tools and the language and I think I have a big belief in humans. I think that the majority of us are, are really do want a better future and we want to work out how to, we can be involved, but we just don't know what to do and we don't know how to help. It all feels overwhelming sometimes. So I think what we're trying to do as we move forward and uh, develop this and, and create this regeneration movement right around the world is just create a place where people can come and share ideas, they can learn about solutions, they can find out how they can get more involved and find their own agency Indeed. to help this out. And uh, there's a beautiful quote by Robert Swan, was an Arctic explorer. And uh, he said that the greatest threat to the planet is the belief that someone else will save it. And I think uh, people are realising at the moment that we're not getting the help we need at a government level. So until they come round to the party, I think we're going to have to rely on our own communities and our schools and our workplace and our businesses to actually take the lead and do whatever leadership. we can to yep. move forward. And then we send those signals, those cultural signals to higher powers.
1: So do you think your daughter is now more reassured and
2: positive and she will take
1: the, the mission after that. Yeah,
2: we'll see. Well, she hasn't seen the film yet. She's no. um, not quite ready to see it. But she certainly is aware, as we speak right now, um, uh, a lot of people in our area have been evacuated because of the fires, the, some of the worst bushfires sure. we've ever had. And so, the you know, the kids are asking questions, and this is the third fire she's seen this year. And so she's uh, really questioning why that's normal and what's happening. And she sort of understands what I do, and a lot of her friends have seen the film. Um, and I I get really encouraged by seeing how switched on that generation is to some of these problems. We didn't have to face them growing up, so we were a lot uh, more distracted, I think, but I'm really buoyed by seeing how connected and articulate these children are on some of these matters and how the networks they're forming right around the world right now, they're they're interacting with each other and trying Mm -hmm. to help each other and find ways to move through. So I think the more we can support them by offering more tools and our wisdom, if we have it, Mm -hmm. then I think that's a very
1: powerful thing we can do. I think that's fantastic. Thank you so much, Damon. This is wonderful. Fantastic film that I highly recommend to everybody to go and watch this film, schools, yeah, children, you know, adults of all ages and governments and, and, and decision makers as well. They need to to watch this film and uh, and support the improvement battle. Yeah. That's Thank right. you so much. Good luck with the My film. My pleasure.
0: Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Medical Humanities podcast stay in touch by reading the journal or our blog online just follow the links in the episode description we're also on twitter at medhams bmj or find us on facebook